Happy to welcome in my guest for the second day in a row, but on the, the bigger topic today is Michelle Cameron, owner of Dreamcatcher Promotions. Michelle, thank you for doing this again today. How are you? Sure, I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Did we sell more orange shirts yesterday? Did we get uh, those double XLs out? We sure did. We sold quite a bit yesterday, and uh, people were lined up. I think even outside the store even before we opened. So, yeah, we sold quite a bit yesterday, which was great. That's good. Um, more shirts out there. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I want to first have you share once again your family and your mother's uh, history with residential schools. Yeah, so my mom is a residential school survivor along, uh, along with my aunts and uncles are also survivors as well uh, from the Dauphin residential school. So um, all of my staff, myself included, all we're all intergenerational survivors, so. So how does this day sort of reflect with you? I guess, first of all, Michelle, what, what are you doing today, if I may ask? I'm currently at the POW at the RBC Convention Center. We closed our doors today, and we all, my, myself, my staff, we all participated in the Orange Shirt Walk and now ended up at the POW. So. And then as a group, we're actually attending the Bomber game this evening as a team and all supporting and going to wear a sea of orange. How was the walk? It was very, very emotional, very moving. And it was so nice to see so many people out, so many shirt people supporting, and literally from every walks of life and so many different cultures there. And it was really emotional to see that. How important is that, Michelle, to you and your family to see multiple different cultures at, at these events? You know, it, for me, it all begins with we can't move forward until we learn our past and learn the story of what has happened to our people. So for me, every time I see somebody wearing an orange shirt or participating in something, it's because they've heard the story and they're understanding. And they and, and they may, may not understand fully and completely, but there it, there's, there's that want and need to understand. So when they partake in events like this, it means they're hearing our voice and wanting to learn, so it, which is really important. I had you on the program last year on this day, and we discussed what the day meant and what you hoped for. It. It's now a year later. Um, how do you feel about it? How how far do you feel we've come or, or not come, or, or how do you feel one year later? I feel like there's more people participating. There's more people um, wanting to know more, which is what this day is about. It's not just a day, it's, but it's a, it should happen all the time, every day. It's just, it's a day that we can recognize and um, hopefully move forward and get more people, you know, hearing it. And that's, and I, I see that, I see that change and I see, it's not going to change overnight. I see that happening every day and more people, you know, hearing Canadian history and which is really important and um, I think we're going in the right direction it's not going to change overnight but this is what we need to do this provides a lot of healing for a lot of people seeing this and just being understood is really important I would imagine and it's only my assumption there have been many years many times over the years that you felt you and your family story weren't being heard Um, do you feel like that's happening now I think it's starting to it's definitely it's starting to and which is really important. We can start somewhere and hopefully grow and grow every year. And but I think their stories heard, myself included. I didn't understand fully what the residential school meant to me or to my mom until the last few years, where it took 
you know, the 215 and even a few years before that, just starting to understand what happened in Canadian history, what happened to the residential school survivors, hearing their story. And I, I was on that wagon once where I didn't know anything, but it took years of asking and finding and under, truly understanding what they went through and why we are the way we are today. Just even myself personally, why did I go through the things I went through childhood? And it was because of what had happened to my mom in residential school. I'm not a person that lives in the past, and I just take what I've learned over the years and I've adapted that to my lifestyle, and I've changed how I am as a person. And I, I wanted to break that cycle. I didn't want to carry that forward with my children the next generation. So that's how I see it personally. But, I mean, everybody's different. And I always tell people reconciliation means a lot of things to a lot of people. But to me, it starts with truth and it starts with understanding. And once we get that, then we can truly move forward. And I wanted to ask you about that because, um, like, from my standpoint as a white male, I I didn't know a lot of this either until later in life. And then when I I did hear this, I'm just sad, mortified. um, Mm -hmm. And and I can't imagine having yourself just describe that. I I was thinking how different it would be to hear this history and these stories uh, knowing your family was involved. Can you touch maybe on that when you started hearing these and understanding what your mother and some of your other family members went through? Um, I think I always say I speak on a personal level because a, a lot of people went to adopt a lot of different things and they see it differently. So I can only speak to my story. But for me, later in life, that's when I started learning things. And then it really opened my eyes and really understood why a lot of survivors are the way they are and just the trauma and the horror they went through. And even me as a generational survivor, some of the things, how my mom was with me like we didn't get a lot of love growing up then she didn't hug us didn't kiss us didn't say i love you and those were all things that were ingrained in her mind and taught in school like you don't do those things you don't hug each other you don't you know love each other and they were beat because if they did that or showed any affection to their brothers and sisters it was beaten out of them that you don't do those things so me finally understanding why my mom is the way she is those are the things that she went through growing up, you know? And so for me as a parent now, I love my children. I hug them and I kiss them and I tell them I love them 10, 20 times in a day because I longed for that as a child and I missed it and I wanted that and I couldn't get it from her because it was so ingrained in her mind that that was not okay to do those things. So it's, it's just things, right? So now that I understand it, I can, I can move forward and then, it's, it's healing to understand for me. And that understanding must have changed your relationship with your mother. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I hug her even more. Like, I'm going <laughs> to hug you and I'm going to love you. And <laughs> so it's just like, and then it's just like, Mom, it's okay to do these things, you know. Yeah, I know. And she, and she's letting go now, you know. Now she's opening up more than she used to before. And it t- took a long time, but we're getting there. Even with her, she's more open now. So... And just she loves seeing the sea of orange everywhere. And she's like, wow, people hear our story and it's healing for her. To your point, to your point, Michelle, that you mentioned about like everyone's different. And that's what I take from these two in this whole past year, that everybody sort of 
that has been affected by residential schools, gone through it, or had family members do it. It's it, everybody's reaction to it is different. So I wanted to ask you about the papal visit and the apology. Um, some say that didn't help. Some say that helped enormously. How did you take the apology and then the visit from the Pope? I didn't take it. I, I didn't. It was like another day to me. I, it, I'm glad they. I guess I'm glad they apologized. I really don't want to have an opinion. I have my own personal opinion about it. I don't think it meant much to anybody from what I'm hearing. It didn't mean much to me. It should have come a long time ago rather than I felt like it was, it seemed like it was almost a forced an apology. But I mean, some people wanted to hear that and some people didn't care. So like I said, it, it means something to everybody differently. And I don't want to speak to anybody else, but right. it, it didn't. It didn't have a lot of ground for me, so yeah. it didn't mean much. Yeah. And I understand that, and I appreciate you sharing your own personal opinion on it um, as yeah. we go forward here as well. Michelle, I can't thank you enough. I know I do this all the time, yeah. but you and your mother and your family and, and everything is a true inspiration, and I really appreciate all the time you give us to share the story and help move the conversation forward. So I'll leave it with this and just ask you, what, where do you want to see us continue to go forward? I remember you telling me a year ago that you didn't want this to be a year or two-year thing, that 20 years from now you wanted this day to be just as important as it is again today. To me personally, I would love to see every single people go through the school system and learn about it in the school system. Start there. A lot of people don't have that understanding, and it's not. It's not in the curriculum, and I think it just needs to be taught to every single Canadian across Canada, so that we don't have to have these things. We don't have to say, "Hey, on one day, look what happened to us." Yeah, fair enough. And Michelle, again, thank you and all the best to you and your family. Enjoy the powwow and the rest of the events today. Awesome. Thank you, Jim. Have a good day. We continue on now with our coverage of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and very happy to bring back into the program Métis artist Tracy Charette Fair. Uh, Tracy, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you for asking me uh, to be here. Yes, and I appreciate you joining me. I had you on the other day to talk about the event that was last night at St. Boniface Museum to honor 250 Indigenous women with a bowl ceremony. Uh, Just remind our listeners first what it was, and then uh, please tell us how it went. Okay, Uh, what it was was I was celebrating or wanting to have a community celebration of 250 years, and I used my own lineage on my mother's side, uh, to calculate those 250 years. So from one of my first grandmothers that of record, Madeline Soto, to 2020, to my generation, made 250 years. So I have been involved in a project for the last couple of years where I wanted to acknowledge that in some way. So I created the 250 bowls. They're all handmade, hand-carved, uh, hand-fired, and... Um, and had those, uh, first of all, they were exhibited at the Winnipeg Art Gallery last summer. And then yesterday we installed them uh, in, in outdoors at the St. Boniface Museum and invited community to come and to take a bowl. But to recognize a woman, that was the main thing, was to recognize one of our, either an ancestor, a grandmother, a mother, aunt, cousin. Anyone could be someone who, who's passed already or someone who is not and uh, to recognize the strengths and the contributions that the Métis women have made uh, to the Métis nation. 
it was open to all Indigenous women. And I have to say there were also people that were not women who were invited to take a bowl because they wanted to recognize uh, someone that they knew. So that really made it in the spirit of reconciliation, I believe. Uh, It wasn't about the numbers, but how was the turnout? Uh We had about 100 people there yesterday. And there was people that couldn't make it. So it was so nice to be able to, some people took bowls for their daughters or their grandmother. One woman that was there um, is from north of Gimli and part of an Indigenous drumming group. So she took bowls to distribute to her group. And so it was more far-reaching. You and I talked last time about, you know, there's way more. And there was. Each person had a group with, you know, within their own circle that they also wanted to be able to acknowledge and have them. So it was larger than the physical presence, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and that was the purpose. Like I said, it wasn't about the number, but I'm so happy that that many uh-huh. turned out. And yeah, then let's let's get to, yeah. yeah, let's get to what the meaning is. You mentioned one lady there. I mean, uh-huh. um, some of the stories and, and some of the power powerfulness of the event, I'm, I'm sure, was uh-huh. there. Well, we had uh, Elder Dolores Goslin was one, but we had a group of women um, that came, uh, three elder women and one younger woman who did drumming and singing and storytelling. And that was fabulous. It was so beautiful. They wore their Métis sashes. They brought their drums. And the stories were really about the women's experience, women's experience of a powwow, some of the origins of some of our traditions. Uh, lots of joking. Métis women, Indigenous women are known to have quite the sense of humour as, lo- as well as telling a good story. And so it was really nice to see the women taking charge. And there was the bust of Louis Riel right beside us <laughs> on the grounds of the St. Boniface Museum. And here are the women, you know, and many artists. There was a lot of people that came out that are doing their own work and, and contributing to the community in one way or another. So I was really proud to be part of that, to have this collection of people that were there. Uh, we had some international students that came out because they're studying human rights and they wanted to learn more about our, our culture and about our history and about Indigenous uh, practices and and history. So, so I think something like that can have a fairly far-reaching effect uh, lots of us wore our orange T-shirts uh, yesterday uh, in acknowledgement of um, of reconciliation and and the reality of residential school uh, and residential school survivors. So it was it was a beautiful it was really a beautiful evening and gorgeous weather and on historic sacred ground really it was lovely. Great to hear that it was such a success. Um, what did it mean to you, Tracy? It meant a lot to me. Um, On a personal note, my mother died when I was just under seven years old, and that cut me away from my Métis family. It was like losing her, but losing, losing so much of her siblings and my grandfather and all of that and the traditions. And I reconnected later on in my life, and now her sisters, my aunties, they're so much apart. And for them, they grew up in, Ma- in Manitoba feeling very ashamed to be Métis. They knew they were Métis. They couldn't hide. You know, some people have been able to kind of disguise that and hide that. That's been part of the unfortunate legacy of colonialism. 
but that reconnection with my aunties, reconnection with people that I didn't know, relatives in in North Dakota and Montana and Alberta, Saskatchewan, you know, it's this bringing back the Métis people, uh, linking us back together again, uh, those of us who've disappeared. So in a way, it was it was honouring my mother and my grandmothers and honouring those people. And that's our historic land. When people talk about us being on the, on the homeland of the Métis, well, it's right there. And so that was powerful for me as a as a as a Métis person, Métis woman, and of the, and for my, my family and my history, our history as a collective as well. Right. What, Tracy, and, and I know a lot of your art is based on um, uh, Indigenous and Métis women and, and some of their issues and, and plights. Where, where are we today in your mind with, with um, the time you've traveled through to, to this point today with some of the issues? Uh, what are some of the pressing issues do you feel are facing Métis women? Well, Métis women, I think, have been one of the most marginalized um, groups, you know, within our um, Canadian community. You know, when you look at murdered and missing Indigenous women, uh, people treat Indigenous women like they're disposable and that that their worth, the value, um, is the lowest. And it's heartbreaking, it's horrendous, and it still exists to this day. Uh, to see that. And so I think as we empower ourselves, and we can't wait for others to do that, but part of that empowerment is about healing. And I guess that's, I'm a counsellor by by training and by working in addictions and mental health for 25 years as well as doing my art. And for me, healing is the most powerful. So collectively coming together, connection is a huge part of healing. So bringing ourselves back together and trying to bring those people that have been lost and disconnected and uh, cut off from their traditions, cut off from families, because there's so many. We've had, in my family, we've had family members approach us that are part of our family, but they, for whatever reason, part of um, some of the disconnection that happened through adoption, through um, trauma, lost their place in the family. And those women and those people, you know, we want to welcome them back. And I think as Indigenous people and Métis people, we all have family that need to be welcomed back into the circle. What does not only today mean to you, Tracy, but also the reaction from all cultures to it? Well, that is an open. That wasn't there when I was a when I was a kid. I when I used to tell people because I tell them I was proudly Métis from a very early age, which surprisingly came through my dad. Uh, but I was very proud, but people kept telling me over those years, don't say anything. And, and it was mostly white people said, no, you couldn't be. No, you don't look like it. No, you're not. And, and they didn't want to associate with people. I heard a lot of the racism because I was white passing. I heard and was hurt over the years and spoke up as much as I could. Some of that still happens today. Some of it's subtle. Some of it's well-meaning, but it's actually quite hurtful. But I think there's an opening up and there's a recognition now that there wasn't. The, the, the recognition of residential schools has been huge. But one of the things I'd like to say to that, and this is something I think is important, people are, were, were horrified to find out about children being lost, abused, dying on residential schools. But what people don't realize is the legacy is all the people, the adults that are suffering today, the people that we see on the street, the people that are using the needles and and 
the people that are drinking, many of those people are, that's part of the legacy is their pain. So when we say we all children matter, well, all people matter because those people that are suffering now were children at one time. And I think we need to recognize that there's a child inside that has not been healed and that those are people we need to care about and we need to honor and we need to help and uh, and help. And I don't mean in just charitable ways, but understanding and listening and and, and really uh, being empathic and making changes uh, to better the lives of people. And that is... Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to say and add that's probably a big part of this of where we need to continue to go. I mean, many people today, uh-huh. many people a year ago on this day who joined me we spoke of that. It's not about today. It's not about next September uh-huh. 30th. It's about the next 20 years and what we do yeah. moving forward. Yeah. And it takes action and it takes collaboration and it takes recognition. Like, again, you know, we can kind of pocket these things out and we've got Truth and Reconciliation Day. But what happens in between? And who is still struggling? Why are they struggling? Why do we have uh, poverty and homelessness right now? Why is there crime? Why are these kids that are 15 out there doing crime? Why are the gangs? This is all part of it. This, the, the, the legacy still exists uh, of, of disempowering and oppressing and hurting people over generations. And that's all part of it. So, so if we can kind of just open our minds and understand that what's happening and, in, in, you know, some of the terrible things we hear happening, well, there's, there's, there's a reason underneath that. And we need to get to underneath the surface of things. And we can't cure that just by cracking down on people. We need to really get to the source and make changes. I really appreciate your time and your insight, Tracy. Thank you so much for joining me again today and all the best. Well, thank, thank you for asking me.